Creativity is more than just having talent. It's about making a choice to utilize whatever talent you do have. That's a lot easier to say than do sometimes because self-doubt and insecurity can serve as considerable obstacles. It didn't start that way because as kids, we created without such distractions. Sometimes I think we spend a lifetime trying to unlearn all that stinking thinking. For Brooke Schultz, her love of photography is more than just about making memorable portraits of families, but helping other photographers to leverage their desire to be a creative person. Using her workshops and her podcast, Heartful with Brooke Schultz, she does just that. This was a conversation that I very much look forward to, as it provided a special moment of positivity during some very dark times. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, Brooke, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's really nice to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ibarian X. As you know, my show is often about more leading a creative life or leading a f- f- photographic life, which is all about just being creative in your, your podcast. And a lot of what I've picked up from you focuses on that as well. So I thought this might be a fun time, not just to, to learn about you and your work, but just to have a, a just a conversation about creativity. I love it. Let's do that. As much as I want to learn about you and your work, I think having a conversation like this, like this is always, always good to have with someone. Mm, yes. Thank you. And one of the things that uh, was kind of interesting was this idea of giving yourself permission to be creative. Mm. And having been a man, I, you know, I've always taken it from the male perspective because it's the only choice that I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting in terms of something that I heard in terms of one of your episodes, speaking from a woman's perspective, especially a woman who is uh, a wife and a mother. And in terms of sometimes the guilt that some women feel who are under those circumstances about making the choice to be creative for themselves and in terms of seeing it as something that's selfish. Mm. And Mm. I thought that was really interesting. And it's not something that I really have had an opportunity to really discuss. But since you really have touched on it, I think at least a couple of times in your podcast, I thought that would be a really interesting way of starting the conversation. So talk to me about that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm curious to know, have you ever experienced that, like a guilt feeling for being creative? Or is it just like... I'm creative and I need to kind of work through the creative process, but not so much the guilt in terms of other aspects of your life. Yeah. Most of my guilt has been not doing it. Yeah. Mm. Not so much that I felt like I was depriving uh, the people in my life something as a result of making the choice to be creative. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it speaks to what women currently experience in a cultural sense that to be a good wife, mother, or just woman in general, you are expected to do it all, do it all perfectly and don't let anyone see you sweat type of thing. And especially to be a quote unquote good mother, you're expected. And it's kind of like this thing that runs in the background, I think, of just give yourself entirely to your children and any time that you spend away is somehow demerit or like a, 
is taking away something very valuable from them. And so that's been something that I've had to really consciously reprogram in my own belief system to believe that the creative impulse is a human impulse. And mm-hmm. regardless of our roles, whether it's a mother, a grandmother, a, you know, a professional creative person, or just someone who enjoys taking pictures or whatever your creative outlet might be, that those impulses are human and that any humans in your care, whether it's children or otherwise, are going to be benefited by that creative impulse and by watching you be creative. Did you ever feel this before you were a parent or is this something that seems to have become especially pronounced after having given birth to kids? I think it's definitely more after having kids kids are so needy. (laughs) They need you all the time. Mm -hmm. And especially as in my family and many women as a mother, you're the primary caregiver. And so you're the one that it falls upon to fill those kids needs all the time. And my kids are really little. They're seven, five, four, and three months. So, you know, they, they need me a lot. And so walking that line and that tension and dance between how much they need me and what I need myself is a really interesting one to walk. And I think all of us walk that in one way or another in creativity because we have other obligations besides just, you know, sitting around getting inspired, making creative work, you know, so it's a tension Mm -hmm. that everyone can relate to, but I think it's especially prevalent in motherhood. Yeah, I had to sort of come to terms with that early in my in my marriage because I, when it came to my photography, it's like when I wanted to do it, I would do it. Mm. Part of the negotiation in terms of my relationship with my spouse, in terms of our time together, and me making photographs, is like I had to be really conscious of the fact mm. that sometimes that time is about us spending time together, not just for me to go out <laughs> and make photographs. Right? Yeah, and yeah. that could be a, and that was a sort of source of tension. Mm. Uh, on, especially when we would go on vacation or go mm. outside because I always had my camera with me so I just had to yeah. be a little more considerate mm. and it, it didn't come easy but that, I think that was largely as, as a result of me trying to make my wife happy as well as me still being able to express that part so I had to sort of find a way of coming out with a balance mm-hmm. otherwise I never really had to consider someone else's desires or wants or needs when it came to mm-hmm. whether I want I wanted time to dedicate to whatever form of creativity that I wanted yeah it's interesting that you say that because I think especially as mothers things change so much more quickly you know my my little one who's three months old is a completely different kid than he was at one day old, you know, in terms of his needs and personality, even his abilities, what he can do. And so I think we got to give ourselves permission to get it wrong. You know, there's going to be times where I lean to where you, you know, I'm on vacation, I take too many photos. And there's going to be times where, you know, I'm in the thick of motherhood, and I really need to pull out the camera for myself. But I don't for whatever reason. So I think that that dance and that willingness to get it wrong sometimes, no matter how far along your creative path you might be, is really key. Did you already have an active photographic business before you got uh, married and had kids? 
I started my business in 2012. And so I got married in 2010. So I didn't. And then my daughter was born in 2013. So it was kind of, it was right before, but very, very much all at the same time. So tell me about how that came to be. My business or the... What, the choice to become a professional photographer. Yeah. So when I was getting married, I mean, I fell in love with Jonathan Canlis. If you know his work, he was a portrait wedding photographer in like 2008. And his work was work that I just felt transported by, that I felt like I knew the subjects that his images kind of took me somewhere else. And having that experience was so magical so that I, became sort of a photography enthusiast at that Mm -hmm. point. Then when I was getting married and having my own wedding images, that was another really fun and also kind of rocky experience. I started out with a photographer who I didn't gel with. (laughs) And then um, as far as like style, and I was trying to make her something she wasn't, which as we all know, is never a good, never a good idea. And then I ended up with a wedding photographer who I, absolutely loved and loved the images that I got. And then after having that experience of being on the other side of the camera, then I really felt like, huh, maybe I could do this. And I had a family friend when I was in high school who took me under her wing and helped me learn Photoshop and I did editing for her. So I was just, I was just a buff for a while. Mm -hmm. And then after I got married, then I, I just was young and stupid and just thought I can, (laughs) I can do this. You know, I mean, my coworker was getting married and she wanted to have the cheapest wedding possible. And I just foolishly raised my hand and said, I can do that. And it was classic every rookie mistake you can make I made but Mm. and so I started out as a wedding photographer and then as I um, had more kids and my kids started getting older then I started to fall in love with family family photography and family work well being young and dumb it does have its advantages (laughs) for sure Uh, maybe not the maybe not the dumb part but I think the naive part yes. is probably more, is more, probably a better description of that because you don't know what you don't know yeah you, you also don't know what you what you can't do oh 100% which, which can be a, a really sort of a good thing knowing too much can can be um, just as stifling as not knowing enough yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned my podcast. Like uh, My podcast is basically like a pep talk for all of us to try to make more work, make more creations. And I think my 20 year old self would have looked at that and thought, what? Who needs that? Who needs a pep talk about how to make stuff? Just go out there and do it. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah in your first episode, um, you had talked about starting a novel. And one of the things that I liked about that is like no one ever has to see it. I can yeah. just do it just because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, I, it was like, I know how true that is, but it was like, it was a good reminder that anything that I do creatively, I can just do it for the pleasure of it and no one ever has to see it. Yeah. And, and I think that part of the struggle that I have, and I think a lot of people have, is that can I be, and if I choose to be creative, it's going to be any good. And that always assumes the fact that someone else is going to see it and make a judgment on it. Mm. And it's like, no, no one ever has to see it. <laughs> and if you enjoy doing it, you can just sit and do it for the pleasure of it and never have to worry about whether it's quote unquote good. Yeah. Did you have a good time making it? Absolutely. And, and I think as adults, we completely lose that 
And as you mentioned in that episode, kids don't worry about it. They just make stuff just for the sake of making it. Yeah. Yeah. And their judgment is so much, they hardly ever have judgments about whether their work is good or not good. Like, I don't think none of my kids sit around looking at their, you know, finger paintings and saying, (laughs) oh, this one's so good or this one's so not good. They just keep making. And I'm so inspired by that to just get all the mind drama away from it and just get right to the heart of it, which is that creative impulse is a human impulse. And let's just follow that without all this extra baggage. So tell me about the, as you were growing your, your business, you know, getting more clients, what did you start finding were your, your strengths? Cause as you know, there, there's no shortage of people who photograph weddings, photograph kids, photograph families. And you can't help but start comparing yourself, especially to the people you're, you're, you're starting to emulate. But I think an important part of being able to see through yourself through those initial times is is not so much whether or not people are paying you. It's, it's more about, you know, recognizing the things that you're good at or that you feel good about when you're mm, doing it. What, yeah. What for you? Yeah. I love that distinction between things that you feel you're good at and things that you feel good doing. Cause like we were just saying with the creativity in all its forms, it's about what you feel good doing. And for me, it was, it was two sides of the same coin. I felt so good seeing people through the camera and through the lens and showing them a version of themselves that, they really resonated with. I remember getting an email from a bride who just said, oh, I'm just crying. How did you make me look this good? All my life, I've hated photos of me and you somehow made me look incredible. And that was my first taste of photography, being able to transport someone else to a better version of themselves. And then as I got into family photography, I realized how necessary and life-giving that was for me on both sides of the camera, that so much of my mothering life was invisible. And I would make food that we would eat without proof that it was ever there. I would do all this work Mm -hmm. in my four walls every day that nobody was there to witness. To be able to see me with my family through imagery, whether it was self-portraits or images that other photographers had made of me, made me feel like my my best self. And that was the feedback that I got from other mothers, especially was this helps me do that invisible work with more passion and zest and, you know, vitality than I could without being seen that way. So, but the flip side of that is that struggle of feeling invisible. And I think lots of us humans and creative people, all of us together, we want to avoid the struggle. We want to just focus on the strengths, Mm, but every strength is a weakness, right? At the same time, if you're really good at, you know, helping people be seen, you might also feel invisible, you know, and that's, it's two sides of the same coin, but as Mm. artists, we really have that calling to lean into those those curiosities and those struggles in our own lives to, I think, make our most powerful work. I like the description of those qualities being different sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. I think we just tend to just look at the negative as being completely encapsulating everything about us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not really true. 
Yeah. Yeah. I used to be so jealous and just wildly envious of women who wanted to stay home and they were content to be stay at home mothers and they didn't have, you know, all these big dreams and things that I had. My mom was a stay at home mom and she was super mom in every sense of the word. So I had so much baggage around that until I realized hey, I'm not the only one with this struggle. And I think that's the beauty of art and any type of photography is that it can really shine a spotlight on those areas that we feel like are such a problem. Like you said, the negative stuff that we kind of just wish we could eliminate and say, hey, maybe this isn't the worst thing. Maybe this is just part of the gig. And now I've just made so much more peace with that to say, what a gift. Like this is, it's a gift to struggle. It's a gift to have the tension. It makes for interesting work. It makes for an interesting life. You know, we all think that we want a life without problems, but that life would be so boring. The choice to dedicate yourself to being a good parent, as well as having a, a business that's a lot of energy requires a lot of time and both are limited mm. so what are the things that you do to be able to make sure that you're dedicating sufficient time to whatever you need to do in terms of your business as well as being able to take care of your your kids with, especially with the age range that they're in <laughs> because they're, it's not like you can they're all going to school right, right? yeah you know, they're, they're very demanding in terms of your time Mm -hmm. Yeah, I photographed a family a little while ago and we had done a maternity session. She had a a little toddler and she was pregnant with her second baby. And so we'd done a maternity session and I was in town again right after her baby was born. And so I was like, hey, let's do a newborn session. Let's do it. Let's do it. And she was like, I don't know. We just did that other session. Like she went back and forth. We almost didn't do the session. We ended up doing it. And that baby unexpectedly died two weeks later. Oh, man. And I mean, of course, as a parent, that's your absolute worst nightmare. And those images, she looks tired in some of them. You know, she and they, she and her husband, they look like you look if you don't know that's coming in two weeks. You know, there's, Mm. there's everything wrapped up in those images. There's joy, there's heartbreak. There's, I mean, heartbreak that just comes with being in a family, not, not just with loss. There's everything in those images. And so to answer your question, (laughs) what helps me the most is remembering the power of what I'm doing, whether it's in my mothering life or in my business, in my photographic life, that it matters so much and that even though we can talk about the the power of photographs in a way that kind of becomes a little trite or cheesy with with stories like i'm telling it it's no less true you know that that the work we do matters so much and so when i'm working and i work from home and my kids are you know screaming outside the door with the nanny then I just try to give myself a little bit of a view of the forest through the trees. Like, yeah, this matters so much. The work that I do for clients matters so much. And then when I'm not doing work, the work that I do with my kids matters so much. 
in, in talking about this, I'm trying to be sensitive in terms of, you know, gender roles, you mm. know, in terms of not just simply asking this simply because you're a woman, but for, for me, the circumstances under which uh, a man is primarily taking care of kids has usually happens later on in the uh, kid's development. It's after a parent, parents have split up, mm. right? And it's usually the kids already in school, so they may share custody or the, the, the man may have primary custody of the, of, of the parent. And so the dynamic is very different because it's not really early in the kids, mm. you know, or in the kids age, right? Uh, when, they're, when they're fairly, fairly young. You know, and the whole the dynamics of what a family is can vary very, very greatly. But, you know, I suspect that you've had a chance to talk to a variety of different people as a result of your work, as well as the, the, the podcast. And rather than seeing as, you know, a particular group as monolithic, what, what, what have you, what have you learned about how different people in their different roles contend with the thing that we're talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. And what I've learned probably won't surprise you, which is that we're so much more alike than we are different. And what I was saying before about how we think about struggle as being this solitary thing. And often photography we do as a pretty solitary thing. That's one of the things that's so life-giving to me about photographing families and being able to be that witness for them is that I see over and over in every family the same things. I see, I see all those things I was just talking about, about joy, about heartbreak, about the sacrifices each parent makes to raise a family. I see the pain of being a kid, you know, the like struggle of being a powerless child. I see the tenderness between, you know, a, a parent and a child. And that no matter kind of what the makeup is of that family, that there's so much more similarities and so much more just humanness. I mean, I think that is what is so compelling to me and many others about photography is that you just can't, you can't hide your human self when you're in front of the camera. You know, all your, all the emotions come out in one way or another, whether it's through your body language or through your voice. I mean, it's a vulnerable experience to be photographed. And I think there's a, a, a bit of a contrarian in me that kind of loves yeah. that revelation, no matter who I'm photographing. For me to make my life work, it has to be heavily structured. Mm. I mark in my calendars the moments I have to meditate, to exercise, <laughs> not just the meetings I may have or the work that I have to do. I mean, if it's not written down, it's very easy for me to forget it. Yeah. And it's easy for me to, to be distracted, mm. especially with all the variety of things that I have going on in my, in my life. Yeah. Do you rely on, on structure and, if, and what tools do you use in order to make sure that everything that you need to get done gets done? Yeah, I'm very attached to the iCal, <laughs> the calendar, for sure, you know, scheduling things. But I think the biggest thing for me is being able to transition with grace and because I do want all of it. I want to do everything. I want to be an amazing mother and an amazing photographer and an amazing business owner, podcaster, you know, all those things. And to be able to do that for me, I found that the key is those transition points and being able to say, okay, yes, now I'm 
Brooke mom, you know, mom Brooke, and now I'm photographer Brooke. And to let those things, they, cause they, of course they cross over and they intersect with one another, but that's the biggest challenge is to, to deal with those intersection points with grace, I think. It's been a difficult year, making it a challenge for everyone. Speaking personally, the last couple of weeks have been especially exhausting. I'm easing off of my consumption of news media because the unrelenting negativity is making it difficult to maintain an attitude of positivity. I've gotten many messages from listeners that this show has provided many just such an alternative. I'm very grateful that I can be that for many of you, providing you with a positive, hopeful, and encouraging voice. I think we can all do with more of that. If the show provides you that, please consider supporting us financially. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. That modest amount makes a huge difference for us and we can do with your kindness and support. Become a Patreon supporter today. Thank you. So uh, tell me about that, what the schedules you set up for your for your shoots, because I assume that because uh, you're photographing families or weddings, that it's it's oftentimes a, a weekend affair. But nevertheless, you have a lot to do in between those. But tell me about what that what kind of looks like uh, from week to week and month to month. What have you found that works for you? Yeah, I think this is a great question because so many photographers just think the vision of success is to shoot as much as possible. And I don't shoot all that much. I shoot on average two to four family sessions a month and that's all. So, I mean, I do those mostly on on weekends, but because it's just a two or three hour round trip gig and it's so life-giving to me, then it doesn't feel like this huge time away from my family. And then right now I'm working about 16 hours a week from home and that has shifted. I used to only work about 10 hours a week, but, um, you know, it just, the, (laughs) what I'm saying about transition points and being able to be flexible, like, that's what's working right now, but I have to be willing to reevaluate that at any point. You know, my kids' needs might change, my needs might change, whatever it is to say like, okay, this was working last month. It's not working anymore. And then that's the beauty of being able to be a creative person, being able to be an entrepreneur is that you can dial it in and change it up as much as you want. And I think a lot of people, entrepreneurs specifically kind of chain themselves to, you know, they have chains of their own making. Like we have this schedule that we've made that we think we can't mess with, but it's like, well, you're the one who made it. So you can go ahead and you can go ahead and blow it up if you want, you know? Uh, learning all the business stuff, I think, is much more of a challenge than it is learning the photographic stuff. It's mm-hmm. amazing what you can get away with in terms of not knowing comprehensively about photography and still be able to <laughs> deliver a good result. But that's hard. You can't really say that as much when it comes to uh, the business side. Mm-hmm. So what resources did you use in order to get you know up to snuff with those? I am a 
multiplicity of contradictions as we all are, but there's that, there's a part of me that loves the artistry and loves like just feeling the feelings and being inspired and let's get down with creativity. I love it. And then there's the other part of me that eats marketing for breakfast. And I, I, I do Mm. have a passion for business. Definitely not as much of a passion as for the artistry, but I love the business stuff. And um, so, I mean, I can, I can tell you, you know, whatever resources you're curious about, but the overarching principle for me has been to look outside of photography at what's working in business, at what's working in online business specifically. Like most photographers don't think of themselves as being in, as running an online business, but that's mostly, that's a huge bulk of what we do. Right. So I study business and marketing and everything from that outside perspective and then apply it to photography. That's, that's a great insight. Um, what are, what are some of the top things that you learned that you realized were invaluable in, in respect to that? One of the biggest things is having an email list. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that is a common, maybe that's common now, but for so long, everybody in the online world was saying, you need to have an email list and nobody in the photography world was doing it. And so to be able to, like, it seems so simple, just collect people's email addresses so you can reach out to them directly instead of waiting for them to come to you, whether that's on social media or any other platform. But having an email list and not to just say, sign up for my newsletter, that you actually offer them something that they want in exchange for their email address. So maybe it's a free guide for what to wear to your family session that they get as soon as they sign up. And then you're able to stay in touch with them about your family sessions, that kind of thing. Yeah. And but one of the things about an email list and something I'm s- still learning in terms of all the marketing is that you have to ask for what you want. Oh, so and huge. So, but especially for creatives, especially as photographers, it can very be very difficult to ask. Mm. But it's like, well, you got to do it. Otherwise, you won't get what you want. Yeah. Uh, no one's going to read your mind and say, oh, he wants a job. He wants money. Yeah. But getting over the the anxiety of asking has been something I've learned to get over. But talk to me about that that part of it because that's a that's a that's a big hurdle to to get over. Yeah, I I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's huge and it's something I still struggle with for sure. And I think underlying it is often because we enjoy photography so much, then we think we don't deserve to get paid well for it somehow. Mm-hmm. Or also that if we just put up photos on Instagram, people will clearly know that we are photographers and they can pay us money to take their photograph. But that's not always the case, right? You can, like you're saying, you can ask people for what you want. And um, I was just talking to a group of photographers that I was coaching and I was saying, you can reach out to people and ask them to hire you individually. And they were just like mind blown. Like what? I can just reach out to somebody and be like, hey, have you had family photos recently? I would love to shoot you and your family. Like they just mm-hmm. were like, I can do that. That's amazing. <laughs> so I think that like anything else, it's just a muscle that gets better as you practice that you're going to feel awful and maybe a little slimy the first time you ask someone to pay you 
for your services, like specifically instead of just a general like post on Instagram type of deal. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. And like you said, the more you ask, the more you receive. And I think that the capacity to receive is actually a really underrated skill that we as creative people should and could all really benefit from exercising more. And I think with every opportunity that you have to practice what you love and making photographs, that helps to instill your inherent feelings of value about your work, which Mm -hmm. makes not only you being able to ask for more money initially, but eventually asking for what you're worth. Mm. Because asking for money is one thing. Asking for what you're worth is is something else. Oh, for sure. But you'll never get there if you never put yourself out there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's this idea among artists like, oh, I don't care about money. It shouldn't be about money. I'm a purist. I only care about the art. And I think if that's genuinely true for you, that's one thing. But I think a lot of times that's just a mask and kind of a cover up to say, I don't know how to ask for money for this. I don't know how to receive money for what I do. And therefore, I'm just going to say, I don't care about it. Yeah, and I think that that part of that response is they assume that the people that are doing it for money aren't doing the, doing it for as altruistic reasons as mm, they are. Yes. You yeah. Know, oh, they're just doing it because they can make money out of it. I'm doing it because I just love it. And it's like, no, that's mm. not, they're not mutually exclusive. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Stuff, someone has to pay for all the stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah. All the cameras, all the software, the computer, you know, all that stuff. The money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And I much prefer to, you know, have other people helping me to pay for all this stuff. Mm, yeah. <laughs> than always having to dig through the, uh, the uh, cushions on the couch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that people forget what a pleasure it is to pay for a beautiful experience and beautiful art. I mean, if you think about something that you love paying for, like if your electric company called you up and was like, sorry, you just, you can't pay us anymore. You can't have electricity anymore. We'd all be like, no, please let me pay you money. Like, please let me pay you this, this money. And as artists, it, what we do is less tangible, but it's no less valuable. I mean, if you think about it, when we're in the darkest of times, like right in the, in the beginning of all the COVID-19 madness and the pandemic when it was really bad and we were all kind of collectively, I think, really down and depressed. What did we do? We turned to art. We turned to the artists. We watched our favorite movies. We read our favorite books. You know, we listened to more podcasts than usual. Or we just listened to the best music. We turned to the artists of the world to say, help me through this. And to say that that's not valuable or that those artists should be doing that purely from altruism, I think it's just crazy. You're doing, you're doing your podcast and congratulations on getting over a hundred episodes. It's no small feat. (laughs) Thank you. I know how hard it can be, but like, as we already talked about, you're a busy woman. You got a lot of stuff already (laughs) on your plate, much less becoming a podcast producer. But in terms of who you're targeting, you know, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily see it as as your audience being the people that are hiring you to to be uh, a photographer or am I mistaken? 
That's the thing about podcasting is it's hard to measure, right? Like it's hard to say. Um, so I definitely gotten clients from the podcast and kind of people who knew my work before, but then became more invested in me and what I'm all about and, uh, you know, making the work that we do in family really visible instead of so in the background. Um, definitely clients have come from the podcast, but you're right. It's not it's not a lot of potential clients and it's geared a lot more towards people who have a creative inkling that they're not currently following. And that was just, as I worked with other photographers in workshops and retreat and online teaching and all those different settings, what I found over and over was the same problems that kept coming up, which wasn't I don't know what to do next or, you know, I, I don't have enough time or money or anything to do my creativity or to do this photo project that I really want or whatever it was. It was that it's all of the mind, all of the thoughts, all of the mind drama, all of the reasons why we hold ourselves back that hmm. was really getting in the way. It wasn't, it wasn't the excuses that we often think of, of time or money or experience or any of those things. Cause people have done, you know, what you want to do with less time, money or experience than you, but, and the time's going to pass anyway. Right. So it's just about being able to get over yourself enough to make the work and do the creations. But in terms of, um, that aspect of my business, it, it is a little bit separate, but I do a lot of work with other photographers and, um, a lot of families that I'm photographing now are other photographers' families. So they, you know, there's, there's crossover points. But tell me about the choice to, to do it. Cause back when I got started, there wasn't much. So I didn't have uh, anything yeah. to compare myself with, which is one of the reasons I think I was able to do it as easily as I did. <laughs> yeah. So, you're an OG. You have yeah. been around a long time. I mean, and huge congratulations on that too. So, you mean the choice to do it as far as where do I fit in in the market of podcasting? Yeah, because okay. yeah, you, you know, anytime you jump into a pool where there are already a lot of other swimmers, yeah, you know, you can easily convince yourself, well, why should I bother? There's already somebody else doing it, or at least in podcasting, a dozen other people already doing this. Yeah, for and sure. And use that as an excuse not to do it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, it was that I couldn't not do it. I was just talking Mm. to all my family and friends constantly and saying, what are you wanting to create that you're not creating and trying to pep talk them into actually making things. And so I did it for myself. And that was the first impulse. I didn't, honestly, I didn't consider the market hardly at all as I jumped in. And I just thought, even if the only listener is my mom, (laughs) shout out to my mom, then this podcast (laughs) is for me, right? Me first. And if it helps somebody else along the way, that's a bonus. Um, And I think your question overall is a really interesting one of kind of why bother it's really saturated. And that's been a classic question in photography as of, you know, recent years where photography has become so much more accessible and anybody can pick up a camera and do it. But I think what I would say, and tell me your thoughts on this is, so what if it's saturated and it's, it's, it's all been done, but it hasn't been done by you. And that specific 
point of view that you have, you don't realize how unique it is until you're much further down the line. So you have to follow the trail. You have to just pick up one breadcrumb at a time and keep going until you figure out what it is that makes you unique. You don't, you, you can, I don't think you can know that at the beginning. Yeah. And I think the determining factor is, is riffing on something you said is that it's something that I have to do, not just something that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it starts off as a want, when it turns into a have to do, then it becomes a completely different beast. Mm. And from there, you can mine the energy and the will to be able to press on during those times when you just don't want to do the work. Mm. Uh, if it's just something that you want to do, uh, it's easily easy to come up with excuses to reason not to do the, the grunt work that has no glamour or glory in it, but is absolutely necessary in order to get that final result. And, yeah. But like you said, I did the show just for very selfish reason. I wanted, yeah. an, excuse, wanted yeah. an excuse to talk to these people. And it's the very kind of show I wanted to listen to. Yeah, for and, sure. You know, that's the reason to do it, not because it's going to derive some sort of, you know, secondary value like money and fame. If God <laughs> knows in podcasting, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, say, stick to daydreaming. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's what you're expecting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Couldn't agree more. So tell me about you working with these other photographers. Uh, how did that sort of start manifesting itself as, as part of what you did? Yeah, so I was really guilty of something a lot of photographers are really guilty of, which is just kind of circling our own drains and being in our own echo chambers in the photography world. And so I kind of just thought, you know, this is who I'm talking to is other photographers. So I kind of accidentally built a business for other photographers. As my as my family work started to become more true to me and have more of a unique perspective than more photographers started to see that and go, I want to, I want to do that with my clients. I don't want to just do the cheesy. We're standing in the mm-hmm. fall leaves, um, you know, smiling for the Christmas card type photos. I want to touch all these different aspects of, of what it is to be in a family. And so I started out doing a one day workshop where I just taught everything that I knew about working with families, all my tips and tricks for loosening them up for, you know, working with kids, all of the above. And then that was an amazing experience, but it was incomplete for everyone who came. And so now I do a retreat that's a few days and we do five family shoots and we get to just geek out on family photography and getting those candid images, more of that lifestyle. We do a lot of in-home family photography as well. So it's really fun to be able to, as you know, like have that experience with other photographers where you can just kind of geek out and make cool art. Yeah, I'm, I've been working on a personal project where I document the morning routines of young families, and I just go to their homes like soon after they've woken up in the morning. Yeah, and spend about three hours, and then I'm just like a fly on the wall. Oh, that's something that was just propelled by something I wanted to do, just yeah. to observe that. And it's been so much fun to photograph in that way. But yeah. one of the things that it taught me that is, if I'm ever asked to do family pictures, I shoot it that way mm-hmm. because I don't feel comfortable taking people to a park or to a beach and Mm. making photographs like that because Mm. it's not in line with the way that I I see. Mm -hmm. But it was an important 
thing for me to recognize because it's like I think that otherwise I would have fallen into the trap of what I think I should be doing yes. rather than the thing I want to be doing mm-hmm. in terms of how I shoot what yeah. I feel not so much how I feel comfortable shooting but what's that's in line with the way that I already work yeah and in line with how you view family your your story of what it is to be in a family is not you know tied to the beach or the park necessarily so that's that's really beautiful tell me about getting you becoming comfortable with your own way of shooting because you know i'm sure that there were ways that it was very different from what you were observing other photographers that are already out there doing this yeah and you feeling okay with, well, this is just the way that I like to do things and being all right with that. Yeah. And I think I didn't realize how different it was at first. I didn't realize how much of a black sheep I was until mm. I, I started looking at the work and sort of comparing it a little bit to what was already out there. And that's the thing is, right, is that we look around and we want to know what's possible by what is being done. But if history has taught us nothing, I mean, it should be that we can't predict the future by the past or by the present um, of, of what's possible. So I really started to lean in and give myself permission to just love all the things that I love and to find beautiful all the things that I find beautiful. I think we all have a different sensibility in terms of beauty and what it is that we find beautiful. And realizing that and kind of following that path of really noticing, oh, what what is it that I find beautiful? So I was looking at a lot of a lot of fashion imagery, to be honest. And, you know, like I grew up just pouring over magazines and reading all of those like typical beauty magazines and loving those photographs. And so I thought, and and like you said about the podcast that you made a podcast you wanted to listen to, I just made photos that I wanted to, like where I wanted to be that mom, you know, of the way that I wanted to be seen as a mother and not just this, like, you know, moms are portrayed the same way in every commercial. Like they're, they wear the same clothes and they are portrayed like in this very vanilla, very, you know, same, same way. And I was much more concerned with like, a mother's individuality and in in so much family photography that I was seeing it was focused on the kids you know it was like all about the kids and mom and dad were there for a couple whereas I really see family in terms of mom and dad and because it all starts there right and Mm -hmm. that relationship being the core of it and of course that we can go as deep as we want with that, like my childhood and, you know, my parents having a very strong relationship with each other and really putting each other first and including us kids in their romance. And I mean, I remember my mom enlisting me and my four brothers as waiters for their Valentine's day dinner. I mean, we served them Valentine's day dinner. I mean, that was the type of relationship that they had. And so, but my relationship with my husband is different than that. And so, you know, I think that a lot of times as we make art, we're, we're working out all those really deep psychological emotion, you know, experiences through our images. And yeah. we forget that that can be in service of other people. You know, that was kind of a long-winded answer to your no, question. No, 
Uh, one question that just that came to mind is like so much when I do see uh, family uh, family photographers, it's 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 mostly cisgender families. You know, you got a mother, you got a father, you got a couple yeah. of kids, mm-hmm. and there's so many different types of families now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just parents that are you know gay or lesbian, but you also have single parents. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm wondering in terms of marketing to them, or I don't know what experience that you've had with with families in which there's only a single parent, but in which the the family portrait is still becomes a a consideration and and something that they want to buy, buy into. Um, you know, I just, just realized I'm not, I don't see much of that when I look at, uh, photographers that, uh, that market themselves as family photographers. Yeah. And I think so much of that is that we attract more of what we already show whether it's, you know, any, any category. And so if you are showing a lot of imagery of single parents, you will attract more single parents because they feel like you get them and you, you have shown that you serve them, you know, same with any other, you know, category that's underrepresented in the landscape right now. And so what I would challenge all the photographers listening is what, what don't you see? What don't you see in the landscape of photography in your genre that you wish you saw? And then go out and make that. Make it on your own dime first, and then you'll be able to get hired for it after you show that that's what you do. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer, and it can be anyone. And uh, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Oh, do I only get to pick one? I try to host people down to one. <laughs> Otherwise, people can keep me here for another 20 minutes. Oh, it's <laughs> so true. Okay. Um, so like a current photographer or a... It could be anybody. Okay. Anybody. All right. Well, my all-time favorite is Richard Avedon. Um, mm. So, I mean, I highly doubt that anyone listening hasn't explored his work, but maybe just go give yourself a little refresher if you haven't um, explored his work in a, in a while, because the way that he uses emotion and the way that he explores the landscape of a face and the dynamics between people and uh, the way that he was a genius across so many genres is just really inspiring no matter what kind of photography you do. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for your time on the Saturday. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a treat. Thanks to Brooke for joining us. Find out more about her and her work by visiting brookschultzphotography.com and check out her podcast, Heartful with Brooke Schultz. If you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Michael Lichter, Stefan Burl, and Matt Conti for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app. 
which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candor Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.